Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Today we continue in a series of messages entitled Red Letter Living. Now, we've been in this for a number of weeks now, and every message is based upon something that Jesus actually said. Every message is focused upon the verses that are frequently printed in red letters in the New Testament. So that accounts for the first two words of our three-word title, Red Letter. The third word, living, touches on the purpose of this series, expressed in the subtitle, Putting the Teachings of Jesus into Practice. Now, so far we've gone through quite a number of the teachings of Jesus, and I won't ask you to confess, yes or no, how difficult or how much success we've had in putting them into practice. Sometimes it's a challenge to say to ourselves, how do I put that into practice? I know Jesus said that, and these are wonderful, wonderful statements of truth, but how do I put those words, that teaching, into practice? And so week after week, we seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit to do that, knowing that even as we simply believe what Jesus had said, there's going to be effect in our life. We will be putting things, truths of God, into practice, and that's what we want to do as consciously as we can. Nothing, nothing that Jesus taught was for the purpose of us someday passing a test on it. Everything that Jesus taught was for the purpose of us having our lives changed by it. Those who believe in Jesus, those who have committed their hearts to him, those who are walking in step with the Spirit are intended to live lives that are radically different from from what they once had been. And so we're called the red-letter living. Red-letter living in this fallen, broken world. Now, last week we saw that born-again people possess a promise, a promise from Jesus that is like no other promise ever given. It was actually twofold. How many of you, without looking at your notes, right now, could sort of come up with both halves of that promise? Good. Good. Should I just call you right No. Well, here is the first part, remember? The first part said this. Jesus promised that those who believe in him, those who have been born again through faith in his name, will live again, even if they experience physical death. He just promised that. He who believes in me, though he were dead, though he dies. And my goodness, thousands have since Jesus spoke those words. The old King James says, yet shall he live. Even if he dies physically, there's coming a day when that person, that believer will live again, full-blown human physical life, just like Jesus lived again after his own death 
when he was resurrected. You see, they will experience that, that coming back to life on the resurrection day when it comes. It was a great message for Easter Sunday. However, even better than that, Jesus also promised that there are some who believe in him, those who've been born again through faith in his name, who will never die, just won't. Will never experience physical death. He promised that. Some who believe in him will never die. You see, they will be the believers that are alive on that great resurrection day when Jesus returns to catch away his church, often called the rapture. Those believers being still alive on that day, will never experience death. They will be caught up with the Lord Jesus. Paul says they will be gloriously transformed, changed to be like the Lord Jesus, but they won't have to go through the death process to have it happen. Now, who of us wouldn't want to be one of them? Now, I was thinking, how we put these teachings, these promises these words of Jesus, into practice. That teaching last week could provide quite a conversation starter, couldn't it? Any of you try to start a conversation with it? Well, here's a possibility. What if you said to somebody this week or say somebody to them last week, did you know, did you know that Jesus Christ promised that some people will never die? What kind of conversation would that start? Ah, that's a lot of baloney. You Christians, I knew you were idiots. Everybody dies. Well, Jesus promised, it's recorded right in the Bible, Jesus promised that some people will never die. Yeah, well, who are they? Or really? Really? And then you could say, I'm hoping to be one of them. So, like, what kind of supplements you taking? What do you mean, never die? I belong to an organization that is have a membership in, a, in an organization that sends out pamphlets and has supplements. It's called Life Extension Foundation. What do you think they're focused on? Extending life. They really believe that the ordinary human being, just with the stuff we're made out of, we ought to live 150 years. That's what the current... Who wants to? <laughs> See, Jesus promised, Jesus Christ one day made a promise that some people will never die. So practice using that truth on somebody and see where you get. You might say it to somebody and say, boy, I know, I know. I'm looking forward to the rapture myself. I'm hoping I stay alive until that day comes when the trumpet of God sounds and we're just caught up. That's going to be awesome. I am hoping to be one of them. And all of a sudden you find a fellow believer and you have fellowship. Or you might find somebody who is so fearful of death that that, uh, that their mind can hardly wrap around that, and they say, what do you mean? What do you mean? You can get to share the gospel with them, the truth with them. And you can share both sides of that promise. 
The first promise, he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet will he live. There's a resurrection coming, an eternal life ahead of such a person. And then say, and then be some who will never die because the Lord is going to return and he could return at any moment, even the next moment. And if he returns the next moment, I'm never going to die because he's going to catch me away to heaven with, with thousands and thousands of others. Boy, I'd sure like you to be one of those. Wouldn't you like to be one of those? Well, that's not in most gospel tracts, but that could be a conversation that leads to sharing the gospel with somebody. And that's what we want to talk about today. Last week's message leads right into this week's because this week's message is titled, A Story Like No Other. A story to tell that's like no other story that's ever been told or could be told. Now, in 1948, and resist the urge now to do math. Just say, I don't do math. I'm not going to do math now, but Pastor Mark's given me a date. I'm just going to let it hang there, okay? <clears throat> in 1948, the year after I was born, a man by the name of Fulton Ausler published a best-selling book called The Greatest Story Ever Told, 1948. Eighteen years later, the year that I graduated from high school, a box office record-setting movie based on that book that also carried the title The Greatest Story Ever Told was released to the public it received five Oscar nominations. It was a great, great film. One of the first films ever done depicting the life of Jesus Christ in such a way. Today, that movie would be mocked and banned. Today, the book and the movie would more likely need to be titled The Greatest Story Never Told and Never To Be hold. It's to us today, in the world in which we live, that today's message and today's red-letter scripture comes. So let's look at it together. Today's red-letter scripture, several scriptures put together. First one, John 15, 26 says, Jesus said, the paraclete, that's the Greek word he used there, the paraclete whom I will send to you will testify about me. And then in John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, Jesus said, speaking of this one who would be sent, he, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And then the next verse in John chapter 15, verse 27, Jesus said, you also must testify about me for you have been with me from the beginning. Heavenly Father, as we look into these words that Jesus, your son, said, we pray that your Holy Spirit, who is present with us this very moment, might open our minds and our hearts to understand them and our wills to receive them and seek to, to 
to live, cause us to live by them. Give us understanding, for we ask it in Jesus' name, he who spoke these very words. Amen. There is indeed a story that needs to be told. And it's a story like no other, and you and I are to be involved in the telling of it. So consider with me now, in light of those verses, a couple of observations that grow out of these words of Jesus we've read, and then a couple of words from the Apostle Paul that we're going to add to our collection this morning. Number one observation, the gospel message, the good news about Jesus Christ, requires a divine witness. Requires it. If God were not involved in it, it would just not go anywhere. The gospel message requires a divine witness. This is a story that originated in the mind and the heart of God. This is the story of Jesus Christ, the greatest story that could ever be told. This is the story of God's love and provision for man's need. This is a story that requires divine activity if it's to be told effectively and properly. Jesus identified the member of the Godhead who would be involved, and he explained the nature of that involvement. So here's the first verse again. The paraclete, whom I will send to you, will testify about me. Now that Greek word paraclete is the one that we translate companion. Jesus said in another place, I will send you another companion. Another one, like he himself had been to his disciples. This is who he's talking about. This is the Holy Spirit sent from the Father and the Son to walk with and guide the believer through life. Now, Jesus points out, the Holy Spirit has a supernatural ability to testify to the truth concerning Jesus Christ. He communicates God's truth directly to the heart of man. If the Holy Spirit were not in the world, the greatest story ever told would have long ago been buried in the dust and the debris of history. But he has come. And here's what Jesus said the effect of his testimony will be. We read it. We'll read it again. Here it says, he, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world. That means he's going to act upon human beings in a way that gets their attention. He's going to convict them. He's going to get right, you might say, theologically speaking, in their face. They cannot ignore this truth. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and to righteousness and judgment. I'd just pause there for a minute and make the observation. This is where God's truth and man's understanding of life are absolutely 180 apart from each other. The Bible says God, guilt is a wonderful thing. Man says guilt is a horrible thing. Secular counselors spend a lot of time trying to absolve people's guilt. 
You shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel that way. You're putting yourself down. Nothing wrong with you. Might be wrong with your parents, wrong with people around you, wrong with life itself. But, you know, this guilt is going to do you no good. Got to get rid of that. The Holy Spirit says, oh, man, you got to take that guilt. Guilt's a good thing. Because know why? You're guilty. Now, you're guilty of a number of things, Jesus says. You're guilty with regard to sin. When it comes to sin, which is a real thing, you're guilty. When it comes to righteousness, you're guilty. You don't understand it. When it comes to judgment, you're guilty. He says now, the conviction of sin comes because men do not believe in me. The conviction with regard to righteousness comes because Jesus is going to the Father, the Holy One, and he's going to be welcomed. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world, the devil himself, now, now, once Jesus has completed his work, he now stands condemned. He no longer can even pretend to be in charge. He's condemned. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes into this world to testify about these things. He testifies regarding the one and only unforgivable sin. Now, I know Jesus said blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin, but basically blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is ignoring, denying the very truth the Holy Spirit brings. And the Holy Spirit brings one fundamental truth. There's one reason that people are guilty before God. Not just that they're born sinners, but there's one big sin that all those who are under God's judgment are guilty of, and it's the only sin that matters. Failure to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus once put it the other way around, and he said that's the only thing that, that counts. What is the work that pleases God? Believe in the one he has sent, meaning himself. And so now he says when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to function in this way, he will convict the world of their great big capital S sin. They do not believe in the very Son of God who left heaven and came to earth and sacrificed his life on the cross of Calvary. They do not believe. And that's the capital S sin. The Holy Spirit, Numa, testifies regarding the only standard for righteousness, which is this, the perfect life lived by Jesus Christ. Jesus lived such a perfect life that he was able to go right to the Father. He said, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. He's, he had lived a perfect life. And a holy God could welcome him in as a, as a holy one also. 
And the Holy Spirit says, don't tell me how good you are. I'm comparing you to Jesus Christ. How do you measure up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ? If you don't measure up to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then you're what? You're unrighteous and disqualified for heaven to ever be in the presence of a holy God. Holy Spirit does that. He convicts the world of the great big sin of not believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, not believing that Jesus Christ did the things that Jesus Christ did, and he convicts them of righteousness, lest they be puffed up in their own eyes. He points out to them the only righteous one ever in this world was Jesus Christ. He lived the life that pleases God. And compared to him, you're not even close. Third thing, Numa testifies regarding the coming judgment. See, it's not true that when you're dead, you're dead. It's not true that you have no more future than what any animal life in this world has or a, a, a bug that you step on. When he's squished, he's squished. That's not how it is with human beings. It's appointed unto all human beings, and all human beings have kept this appointment up until now to die, and after that to face judgment. And when it comes to judgment... There's only one thing. There's only one standard. You have Jesus over here, and you have the rebellious one over here. And he's already been judged. He will spend eternity in, under the judgment of God in hell itself. And those who are not allied with Christ are allied with him. He's already been condemned Human beings can be condemned right along with him. That's what the Holy Spirit says. You turn your back on Jesus Christ, you ignore the salvation that he brings, and you simply are judged to be worthy of eternal wrath. That's how it is. The devil already knows that. Christ's victory over death was a victory over him. So that's what the Holy Spirit comes to testify about. He testifies regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Three incredibly important testimonies. But it's also important to point out, and here's where we'll ask the Apostle Paul for a little help, it's also important to point out the gospel message requires human alteration. Unless people are somehow changed, altered, they will not receive this testimony. They'll be guilty. They'll be guilty of sin, of righteousness, unrighteousness, and judgment, but they will not receive anything because the Apostle Paul tells us that human beings in and of themselves are not able to perceive or receive this story like no other. This story to which Numa testifies. Numa's story falls on deaf and even defiant ears. Here's what the Apostle Paul observed concerning his efforts to tell the Jesus story. 
1 Corinthians 1, 23, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Now he's doing it with the, with the strength that the Spirit gives him. He's doing it having come to Christ himself through the testimony of the Spirit who drew him as a result of his own con confrontation with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Paul says, now I've been preaching Christ. I've been preaching Christ died, Christ crucified, and all that means, he says, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. It's almost like Paul says, I've been wasting my time. At least I've been preaching a message that has very little chance of success. Because when I preach to my fellow Jews, of which I am one, they just can't get over the, the thing sets up like a barrier in their minds. They just can't get over it. They stumble over it. They, it, it seems uh, impossible to them what I'm preaching about Jesus. And then the Gentiles, you know, they just consider it to be foolishness. You see, the Jews stumble over this message because I keep telling them, Paul says, they need a savior. And they keep telling me they don't. They don't need a savior. They believe they're already right with God simply because they're Jews. They're members of the Jewish nation. They can trace their heritage back to Abraham. And so they believe they are already right with God, acceptable to God, and they do not need a savior. And of course, they are, they are not contending with sinfulness like these Gentiles are. But see, the gospel message, the Jesus story tells the Jewish people that they are sinners just like everyone else. And they are committing the big capital S sin if they deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Doesn't matter how much religious activity they go through, they are being convicted, the Spirit would convict them that sin is to not believe in Jesus Christ. And most of them just couldn't wrap their minds around that spirit-generated testimony. Now, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, they just thought the whole thing was silly. This whole gospel message is silly. Gods don't leave heaven to come to earth. Gods don't lay down their lives for puny men. Gods were to be feared, not adored. The whole Jesus story was just ridiculous to them. And so Paul, Paul would lump both Jews and Gentiles together in this observation that he made just a few verses later in his letter to the Corinthians when he says this, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that just means human beings in their natural state, human beings without any influence of the Holy Spirit changing them, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Have you ever tried to share your faith to somebody and, and think that, you know, if you could just say it right, you ought to be able to convince them. And, and you might even think you're doing a pretty good job of explaining, you know, how your eyes were open to Christ and how you accepted Christ as your Savior and how it all makes sense to you, and they just seem to be staring at you like you've lost your mind. And, and it's like, 
where am I going wrong here, you think? Well, you're probably not going wrong anywhere. They're just being who they are. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That, mean God, that means God has to involve himself in their lives to bring some kind of a spiritual capability into them that they do not have naturally. So when Numa comes to declare the truth about Jesus Christ, he also comes with the ability to bring new birth to human beings, to bring a spiritual birth to human beings. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know, unless a man is born again, he can't even see, let alone receive the things of the kingdom of heaven. So something has to happen, and by God's grace, that something happened in my life. That something happened, I would believe, in almost everybody's life that's in this room this morning. There came a point where it started to make sense to you. It came to a point where it was a, a tremendous good news to you. You might have been at a point where you really were feeling guilt. And then you discovered that your guilt could be taken away because your sin could be taken away. And that Jesus Christ died for you, you really are guilty before God, but God the Father has chosen to let his Son take your judgment upon himself so that God the Father can say, you're no longer guilty in my eyes. So don't feel guilty in your heart. I declare you to be a forgiven child of God. And that relief, Through that whole process in ways that you and I will never understand and we can't put reasons behind it, God mercifully does that in certain people's lives. I'm glad he did it in mine. has nothing to do with me. I'm glad he did it in yours. But he did not do it without the Holy Spirit bringing the truth to you. And he did not do it without the Holy Spirit somehow enabling you to accept, understand, and receive that truth that to all the people around you just seems like foolishness, some religious nonsense. And yet Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, this is how the Spirit that Jesus would send into this world functions. And all of Jesus' disciples the Holy Spirit would be given to them and they would have understanding. They, How many times did they say to Jesus, they heard his words and said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost and they started announcing to the world what Jesus meant. Because they got understanding. They got the ability to receive it. New birth came to them. And so when the Holy Spirit brings that new birth, it brings the desire and the ability to accept spiritual things, especially to accept this greatest story ever told. Now, Jesus' disciples would be the first group of them. 
the Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by those who were believers in Jesus Christ. And they were written in a way to preserve the story. But how many people read the Bible and it doesn't make any sense to them at all? Just because the book is there. Then there are others who pick up that Bible and the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and it's like, man, I have waited my whole life to know this, to understand that I need this. And they come to, to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now there's one more thing. Knowing that that day was coming when the Holy Spirit would come upon his own disciples, Jesus spoke these words that led to our third and final observation of the morning. The gospel message requires a human verification. Have you ever gone on Amazon where you're seeking to buy something and, and you look at there's 10,000 remarks you know, or people, uh, references, whatever they call them, and, and you can click on it, the, the five-star ones. What do people say about this product? And so you start to read it. And then have you ever noticed that usually over on the side, it'll say verified buyer. This means the guy who invented the thing didn't write this article. Somebody who actually bought it. So, and it's verified. This is someone who actually bought it who is saying these words about it. Well, Jesus, and we're saying here that the gospel message itself, requires some human verification. Some living human beings testifying to its worthwhileness. Now, before Jesus said this, I think just for a moment, his disciples got a real relief. I'm sure for a moment, the disciples were delighted and relieved to hear that first line of Jesus' words that we read this morning. The paraclete whom I will send to you will testify about me. <sighs> Jesus is going away. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will do all the testifying. He will be a testifier. It almost sounded like Jesus was saying something like this to his disciples. I am sending one on whose coattails you can ride, just like you have ridden on my coattails for the last three years. The one I send will be responsible to tell the world the story. <sighs> I'm glad nobody's going to ask me. I'm not sure what I would say. And as soon as, before that thought could even settle into their minds, the very next verse, Jesus says, you also, you also must testify about me, for you have been with me from the beginning. You fellas know the story better than any other human being. You must be involved in telling that story. Who knows your salvation story better than you? I remember one time I was helped out in that regard. The very night I accepted Christ as my Savior, I was convicted. 
I was sure I was lost and heading for hell. Not only had I committed the big sin of not believing in Jesus, but I knew my, my young life, I had added them up. All the little S sins too, because my mother reminded me every time. So there I was. And I hear the story told. The evangelist told the story. I was nine years old. And I generally knew the story, but that night I heard the story. And the Holy Spirit testified to me that it was true. And when the evangelist said, as those of you know, if you've ever been in meetings like this, let's all bow our heads now. Anyone who wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and be forgiven of their sins, raise your hand. I raised my hand. I was kind of small in my seat, so I imagine my hand didn't even get very high. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see it was a big gathering. There's a lot of hands to see. Okay. okay. I did that, right? Took courage to do that. My heart was just pounding like crazy. Raise your hand. It wasn't like in a worship service. I had to learn to do that too over the years. But then, the prayer's over. We all raise our eyes. You know, none of us have been looking around. And the song's being sung. sung. Closing song. And it's like, yes, I, I, I do want to receive Jesus. I know that's true. I know he died for me. And I might have thought that was all I needed to do. And then the preacher says, the evangelist says, now... While we sing this closing commitment song, I want all of you who raised your hands, I want all of you who raised your hands to come forward, come down the aisle, and we'll gather here in front, and I'd like to talk and pray with you. Now, I had to be the youngest guy in that whole group, probably a thousand people there. It was a, a youth conference, a high school Bible camp that the public came into, and we filled that place several times every week. All of you come down here. I want to talk and pray with you. My dad was sitting next to me, and he leans over to me. He says, if you want to go down there, I'll walk down there with you. Oh, okay. I guess his eyes weren't closed and he wasn't looking around. <laughs> so we walked down the aisle, actually me and my older brother with my dad. But I guess my dad felt my older brother, a year and a half older than me, was tough enough to just do it on his own. But little Mark probably, you know, if we could just encourage him. And besides, I was kind of hoping he would get in line pretty soon anyway. So we walked down there. Okay. Now the song ends and the people actually are dismissed and there's just a bunch of us sitting up here with the evangelist. And he might have led us all in a prayer of commitment, but he chose first to go right around the whole, the whole row, several rows of us, why did you come forward? 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 Wow. I was near the end of that. I was in the back row of the three rows. Why did I come forward? See, I'm going to have to testify. So where's the Holy Spirit when I need him? You know, gee, the Numa will testify, but you also must testify. Those disciples, I think, were a little bit at that point of saying, well, what are we going to say? 
We've been listening to him for three years. He's done all the talking. He sent us out a couple of times, but I mean, we're going to testify. So the preacher goes down the row, and then down this row, and then down this row, and, and my dad's sitting here, and we're coming this way with the testimonies. Why have you come forward? Why have you come forward? And I'm sitting here. I might have even been the last one that's going to say anything, and I'm just scared out of my mind. And he comes down, gets the person on this side of my dad, and then he's going to come and point right at me and say, and why have you, and before he said, why have you, my dad, playing the role of the Holy Spirit for me, spoke out and he said, this young man has come forward to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I didn't have to say anything. Aren't you glad when there's a more informed Christian right in the neighborhood where you are when you might have to say something? You say, well, tell them. You tell them. How many times do people get a friend, you know, that they're kind of getting acquainted with and might call up the pastor and say, I have a friend who's really getting interested in the Lord. Could could you come over and talk to him? It's good to have somebody to do that. I was greatly relieved that night, my dad. I think that's the last time my dad ever spoke for me in any spiritual matter whatsoever. But boy, was it good that night. So I think the the disciples were probably sitting there with that feeling of, uh, Jesus has been the spokesman for all these years. He's been the miracle worker. And now he's sending us a new paraclete, one who will walk with us, who will companion us. And we can just relax in his care and let him do all the talking, all the testifying. And then Jesus says, but you also. You also. What if I just chose any one of you at random and said, next Sunday you bring the message? What? I mean, we're organized here. You're the preacher. Jesus says you also because there are some congregations that you are the leader of there are some relationships where people look to you as the one that they trust the most and in those situations you are to be the testifier you are the one who knows your story nobody else can tell it My dad put words in my mouth that I pretty much agreed with, but he was telling my story, and very quickly after that, I realized it had to be me telling my story. That's what we all are involved in. We can verify that these things are true. Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, has changed our lives. Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ has promised us a home in heaven. And Jesus Christ has even said it's possible that we might never die if we live until his return. And that's our story. And we're sticking with it, right? Because it's his story. See, every generation, 
Every generation needs a new set of voices to verify this greatest story ever told. So here's our final thought this morning. It says this, no story deserves coverage like the story of Jesus and his sacrificial love. The key word there is deserves. It's not receiving, but no story deserves coverage like the story of Jesus and his sacrificial love. It's a story like no other. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality behind the story. This is not a fable. This is not just a, a well-crafted um, narrative. This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth 2,000 years ago, and it's as real today as it was then. And you've given us the elaboration of the story in this book we hold in our hands. And Father, I pray that we would know the joy of having moments when we can share in the telling. And it's not to be a masterful thing. We're, we're telling our story now. We're telling how our life has been impacted by him. And we can simply share we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No matter what anybody else believes, we believe that. We believe he died on the cross for our sins, and we confess that we are, in fact, sinners in need of forgiveness. And we believe that you, our Heavenly Father, has forgiven us of every single sin because Jesus Christ has paid for it, and we are trusting him. For it. Father, allow us by your Holy Spirit to feel the, the truth of God occasionally just come out of our mouth, to know it's the Spirit's words, to know he's the one that opened our eyes to understand it. He is the one who can give us the courage, but, but Father, he's also the one who gives us the opportunity. I pray that even this week, there may be opportunities for every one of us in this room to share something of our story of salvation through Jesus Christ. For we ask this now in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.